0: Thanks For watching our podcast here at Spear Consulting, our services include business strategy and human resources consulting. In HR, we offer executive search, executive coaching, and work psychology consulting. Please visit us at spiritmco.com where we fulfill our
1: clients' dreams virtuously. Enjoy your show.
0: Welcome back to the Leading Virtuously podcast. I'm just so so excited about the guests that we have today. Anthony, I don't know if you know this, but you're our first former professional athlete that's been on the Leading Virtuously podcast. So excited to be able to kind of dive into your journey and all the ways that you're bringing blessings into the world. Our first question, so our listeners can get a better sense of who you are. Who are you?
1: Yeah, so my name is Anthony Emmanuel Bass, um, formerly from West Virginia. Um, growing up, uh, had a grew up in a great family. Um, we were individuals who consistently went to church on Sundays, Sunday schools, vacation Bible studies. So I was raised in a Christian home. My mom was more dedicated uh, than my father, to be honest. Uh, I say my dad was pretty much agnostic. My mom was very diligent and devoted, and similar to Timothy, I feel like I kind of like took from my mom and my grandmother's fee. Um End up going to college in Bethune-Cookman University now, Historically Black College in Daytona Beach, Florida, Methodist School. Um, had a great um, transformational experience down there, which set me on course to ministry and leadership. Um, I got injured my last year of football at Bethune-Cookman University and was picked up as a free agent by the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I was on that team in 1998 when we had 15 and 1. Uh, that year I was thinking, hey, you know, this is great. Like we're we're going to go to the Super Bowl. And I remember um that game we lost in the playoffs. Um, for those of you who don't know, we were uh, we we uh won every game except for one that year. Uh, we broke the scoring record, uh, NFL scoring record, and our field goal kicker hadn't missed any kicks the entire year. Until one kick. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. The last kick in, in the playoffs, which led to us losing to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they ended up playing the Denver Broncos and losing that year. Um, but nevertheless, um, my assumption was we'd be back there every year, and, and, and we weren't. Uh, but I, I had an interesting experience in the locker room. Because uh, for me, football I thought was my life. My dad was a coach, and I grew up loving like Randall Cunningham, who was on that team. I grew up playing techno football video games, Sega Genesis football games, John Madden. Just football was my life. I was a blue chip all American high school football player. And I remember I was i was at the apex, um, almost like one game away from the Super Bowl. And we lost. And I remember going to the locker room and just seeing grown men weeping and crying. And I was like, this. This can't be it. I saw men crying from their souls, and I was like, "Man, they they have given everything uh, for for football." And and that wasn't that wasn't me. Um, I, I had dedicated my life to Christ, and um, and so I responded differently than they did. And I think from that moment, my heart started drifting toward ministry. Um, played a, another year and another training camp after that. End up starting um, for the Vikings my last uh, playing season. But that summer, going into uh, training camp after the 2000, 99, um, 2000 uh, season, going to the training camp next year, I was, I was I felt like I was called into ministry. And so I started street preaching downtown Minneapolis. <laughs> and um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have. <laughs> so good.
0: Oh, I love it. I can only imagine, like what, like what is happening right now? A professional <laughs> athlete just like speaking about Jesus on the streets. Like I'm sure you were just like without even having to bring the heat of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you were just rocking people
1: left and right. Well, let me tell you this story. So the the my last uh, training camp, I was, I knew I was gone, and um, what the the coach told me is they they wanted me to come back as a coach or. Maybe they put me out on the street, as they call it, when you get released and I get that passion back and they feel like they could bring me back to the team. But I knew I was gone. That, that pride in my heart or chip on my shoulder was gone and I had answered answer the call. And so I remember the next week, the next Friday, I'm downtown Hennepin before it was all built up and I'm preaching uh, Jesus and I, I remember hearing this knock on the window behind me. I turn around, and it's our offensive team, and they all are looking at the window, looking at me preaching, and they're like, "Aunt eh, Bass has gone crazy." <laughs> and I looked at them. I turned around. I kept on preaching because at that moment I knew, like, I was doing what I was what I was born to do, and um, and from that point I didn't I didn't look back. Um, End up uh, in ministry in the Twin Cities area for about two years. Then I left to go to Regent University in Virginia, East Virginia, where I acquired a Master's of Divinity and a Master's of Business Administration. Uh, became a youth pastor of a large church out there. I think that we reached about 10,000 members. It was an urban church in Norfolk, Virginia, and learned how to do ministry on a large scale there. Had a lot of experience working with volunteers. Uh, a lot of experience working with parents, um, a lot of experience working with bureaucracy and uh, community leaders, and it was just a, a fabulous um, learning uh, journey for me. There um, made a lot of great networks at Reed University. Had opportunities to do mission trips across the the planet, literally Bosnia Herzegovina several times, going out there, and um, and after that, I realized, you know, I was I was exactly where God wanted me to be. Um, Then, um, 2010, after I graduated, I came back up to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, planted a church. Um, There were some difficult things that happened from the time I graduated till then, and that'll be for another podcast, maybe in the future. Uh, But nevertheless, I ended up in Minneapolis, um, and the Assembly of God asked me to come up to plant a church. I wasn't an Assembly of God pastor, but they, they wanted an African American leader who was a Bible teacher in the Twin Cities area. And um, when I first, when I finally got up here, they were like, hey, you know, we don't want you to Brooklyn Park. I mean, uh, we don't want you downtown. We want you to another area. Ended up landing in Brooklyn Park, starting a church from scratch. Didn't have a lot of support. Um, And slowly over time, God brought leaders in. God brought faithful people in. We focus on discipleship and still do up to this day. Um, But I was not engaged in the community. More specifically, I wasn't engaged in the African-American community. I have a great connection within the Twin Cities with, with white families, but I didn't have a great connection with homogeneous black families. I, I had a lot of mixed families, white families, but not just African-Americans. I was like, what's 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 the Like, what's missing? Ended up getting a, a job at uh, what we call Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. It's a little different here in Minnesota, a lot larger. Um, probably the second largest in the country outside of the one in New York. And had an opportunity of going all throughout the state helping people with alcohol, drug rehabilitation, treatment challenges, connecting churches to the mission of Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge, making a lot of connections, building a network, raising a lot of resources for the organization. Um, then I and I took time off to focus on the church to keep it growing. And then I got a job at the Greater Twin Cities United Way. Um, to be brutally honest, our values weren't completely aligned, but it gave me an opportunity to see uh, what was the, the challenge within the community and t- in the twin cities. And I learned a lot about community, about some of the hopes of those people in the community, about the challenges that our community has faced and just did, had just a great experience. Um, while I was there, I uh, got a, connected, reconnected back with the NFL Players Association, where I realized they would take care of uh, any educational needs that I had. And so I went back to school to the Humphrey School of Public Affairs and I got a master's of public affairs degree. I just graduated three weeks ago with that. And um, today, just today, I applied for uh, a doctor of education degree uh, from Marshall University. In West Virginia. And so we'll see if I get accepted. Uh, but while the NFL is paying for it, I'm, go, I'm going to take advantage of it, just so you know. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I come from a family of learners. Um, and that has been just a key for me all the way up to this point. Just I love learning. I love implementing and I love people. And, um, and those are some of the qualities I've taken uh, along the way even my current role as now the senior executive director of the American Cancer Society for the state of Minnesota. My second, uh, my my fourth week on the job, um, one of my employees came to me and said, you're a servant leader, aren't you? And I was like, how did you know? And she was like, I can tell. <laughs> and she said, I love it. Like, I love it. And so we're we're actually making some strides within the development of our team. Uh, The organization is very siloed and I'm trying to come in and bring collaboration and teamwork and, um, and valuing relationships internally and externally. And we're hoping obviously raise more resource, but help to, uh, in order to help us, uh, you know, fight cancer within the, within our community. And so, you know, that's just a a high level of the journey that the Lord has me on um, to this day. And, um Ultimately, without Christ, um, I could I can go on a long story about what God has done for me, how He saved me, literally uh, when I was, when I strayed from Him, a series of events that happened that led me to surrendering my life to Him and uh, and literally making the choice to to live out my faith every day, moment by moment, not not just day by day, moment by moment is kind of how I look at it, and so it's helped me to be effective. It's gained me favor with God and men. And so um, that's that's kind of in a nutshell uh, who I am at this point. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, that was beautiful just to be able to recap that and, and kind of share your story. So I appreciate you diving into that. There's a lot of things that kind of just like came up that I wanted to follow up on. Um, first of all, congratulations on getting another master's degree in uh, I challenge you to go through with the doctorate. That would be so exciting as well. Um, and now, I mean, I'm just like, you know, it's been a while since I've been out of higher education, having gotten an MBA in 2013. But I feel like, you know, seeing people like yourself that, <laughs> like, just getting right out of it and then heading right back in for a doctorate. I'm just like, man, maybe I need to be. <laughs> <thinking about that." laughs> I haven't been feeling called lately to to uh, dive into that. But the the other thing that kind of came to mind was. Like, you know, we, and I know it's like, it's, it's a comedy, right? So we have to take it in strides, but, but like Ray Finkel came to mind and, and, um, you know, like the, uh, the, the, you know, ace uh, detective or Ace Ventura pet detective and Ray Finkel, who's, you know, kind of like the, the character in that, but, you know, in essence, like bringing this down to like a serious note, like, you know, some people really, really, really struggle with being able to overcome adversity in that way and in that in that movie like they you know they it's obviously a cartoon example of someone that has gone so far over the deep end that you know they are trying to like really ruin another person's life but I was just thinking about like and you talked about grown men that were in the locker room that are just weeping thinking about literally having made the Super Bowl in Idol and made that their God. And that's why they were struggling so much. But I think specifically what was coming to mind was like your punter or the kicker that missed that. I mean, I feel like that, that, like, you know, there's so much stress in so many different sports. Like for me, I, I love hockey. So, you know, the goaltenders, like, kind of in charge of, you know, when you have to go shootouts, like, if they don't make saves, then they could lose the entire game. But like, literally, like, people that are punting, kicking field goals, it's like, all on their shoulders. So it was just kind of curious if like what that conversation looked like for that, for your teammate in that regard, I feel like that was also like a huge ministry opportunity, big brother, like, you know, like life goes on, you know, just, so just kind of curious as to what that looked like.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, like we could just go back and and, and analyze my entire NFL experience. And there's so many stories here, but this actually did not have a great ending to be brutally honest. Um, so So I I want to take a step back. So on our team, Keith Johnson, he's actually a Hebrew teacher. He has a Messianic ministry, and he's in North Carolina. Was our chaplain, and so we had a very vibrant group of believers on that team. And I remember we went to the Baltimore Ravens, and we were getting off the bus, and I remember hearing people saying the Jesus team, and I was like, wow, like this is awesome. Like people think about Christ. Thank you. This is (laughs) and our team, right? And I was like, man, this is like we're honoring God. This is like perfect. Um, I remember at that time, like being excited. I was in the locker room during training camp my first year, and Randall Cunningham was there, and I wasn't looking at him. But even though he was my hero, um, you know, I was like worried about getting cut, and I was worried about like, you know, what I was going to do the next, you know, couple years of my life. And, and Randall, who I didn't know was a Christian at this point in my career in NFL, said, you know, you know, what 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 can you gain by worrying? Them? And he goes, the Bible says a man can't. And, and when he said the Bible says in my brain, I was like, oh, Randall Cunningham is a Christian. And so from that point forward, I began to associate with the other Christians on the team, Gary Anderson, who was a kicker being one of them. And so on the team at that time, Chris Carter was a minister, Randall Cunningham, who's a pastor right now in Las Vegas has his own church, uh, John Burroughs. I mean, there were a lot of Christians on that team. And so, I was like, man, this is perfect for me. Like, I, you know, I had in my in college I had rededicated myself to Christ and I felt like this was just a conduit to help me continue to grow. And so this bubbled up throughout the year. We we're winning. I'm like, this is this is what it means to be a Christian. Like we're going to overcome everything. We're going to go undefeated the rest of the season. we go to the Super Bowl. And it came down that that last game. And uh, when Gary missed the kick, it it was horrible. Like we went to the locker room and there were men throwing chairs. I remember during prayer, we prayed every time. I remember a couple guys who were Hall of Fame guys got a of prayer. They just didn't want to pray. And they just walked away. And um, I remember Gary just weeping. Now, like I said, this is not a good part of the story. Um, you know, there were people who consulted him. Consoled him uh, but his wife it, it left him. His wife left him and his son oh. after. Yeah. And so... Um, eventually Gary played another year and then, and then eventually he went, uh, played a couple more years. Um, and then I remember there was a game, I, I don't know, uh, Chris Carter went over to the dolphins and Gary had opportunity to, it was like a 50 yard kick. And, and I remember seeing Chris on the dolphins, sidelines. He, he can't, he can't kick it that long. He can't, he, his legs not that strong and Gary made the 50 yard kick. And I remember like, so being so happy for Gary, like there was some, you know, a little bit of redemption there. Um, but as far as I know, Gary has remained faithful. He takes care of his son. I don't think he lives in the States anymore. Um, and that team, you know, I I don't think, I think what happened was when, when that, when that loss came, that what our real faith, those people who are faithful to God because of who he is more so than what he could do for them really came out. And it was, a, it was, like I said, reaffirmed in my mind, my commitment to God. It didn't, it didn't push me away because we didn't win. It made me lean, lean in more. And so for me, ever since that point, I don't look for always um, success to look like what the world says success. I look at success as being faithful to God despite challenges, despite obstacles, even victories. Uh, I still remain, uh, my focus is remaining faithful to God. Well, I love that.
0: Thank you for sharing. And that's both of those quite powerful stories. So I appreciate that witness. So, you know, just thinking about the fact that you're a lead pastor for a church while at the same time a nonprofit executive. So how do you live out your faith as a leader?
1: Yeah, great question. And so for me, um, they so people, this was the beautiful thing about getting this job. So. One of the reasons why I got the job was because I was a a pastor. Um, I was actually uh, referred by an executive uh, headhunter to this uh, organization. And in that process, um, this same individual had helped me uh, get in contact with a couple other Christian organizations in the area. And they thought, well, you know, he's a pastor, so he doesn't have the capacity to do both. And so these were the Christian organizations. And I was like, oh, I was like really disappointed. But I was trusting God because, you know, he was the one, I believe, opening doors. And so for me, getting this job, which is it, what you would call secular, but it's, it, but it's just non-faith-based job. We're, we're agnostic. Um, but faith does play a big part of it. The good thing about this role is that we, we engage churches. Like, you know, when people have cancer, they need hope. <laughs> they want life. They want healing. They want God. They, they want to be OK. And so in contrast to some other nonprofit jobs I've had, this one, you know, they don't care that faith is a part of the process because it is. And so there is no there's no awkwardness there with me being um, a pastor or a person of faith. But what I do is I, I live out my faith by being faithful and and make, making sure that the disciplines I, I have in my life are functioning and bearing fruit throughout my interaction, um, in my, both my team and my community, every radio, uh, you know, broadcast I do every kind of TV spot. I do, I make sure that I'm honoring God. Um, I try to always walk in humility and always try to point, uh, not to myself. Um, but I always try to give the attention to other people, ultimately trying to give it to God. And so, um, You know, I I do interviews now as we're trying to, you know, communicate our value add to the Twin Cities metro area. And in that, I I don't talk about me or my accolades. You know, I talk about my team. I I talk about the mission. And I I make sure that the host, you know, talks about me because I know I don't, if not for God's grace, I wouldn't be where I am. And so um, humility has played a big role. And kind of like Moses, he, he says he's the most humble man on the earth. <laughs> and you're thinking, as soon as he said that, you're like, wait a minute, what are you talking about, Moses? Obviously, you're not humble because you said that, right? <laughs> but nevertheless, I, I do believe that humility um, is something that is key for me. Um, and as I said earlier, in the anecdote earlier, um, you know, people see that I'm a servant and a collaborator. And and because of that, when I come into meetings, my job isn't to dominate. Um, and I think some people are a bit trepid with my leadership style at time or at first because they're looking for decisiveness and direction. Now, I do provide that, but I also make sure I'm including those people, the voices on my team, those people I'm leading. And my job, I feel like as the leader, is to bring people along. Um, We live in a time now, particularly if you uh, look at the public uh, policy space or public engagement space more specifically, where you you have to include the voice of the community. Their voice must be at the table in order to get buy-in to move forward. Um, That's that's the philosophical base now. I think most people realize that we're working from. And so for me, I can't leave out the voice of my team when I'm making decisions. Now ultimately, uh, the last decision rests on me but I've gotten their input. i gain gained insight from them. And when decisions are made, they understand why we're making the decision. I just don't make it and then come back and tell them why. And I make sure I tell them why, but they know why I'm making the decision I'm making. And that means I have to be transparent. And um, and that's something nowadays, <laughs> it's it's kind of standard operating procedures, um, being transparent. Um, I think, you know, in the past, when leadership, when when leaders were in, operation, hoarding information was very valuable. It was, it was what made leaders leaders for a lot of organizations. But for me, I share information and I also at times even uh, distribute power. And I believe that it's essential for us, to me, as an organization to function effectively. If I'm able to empower everyone on our team to work at their best, um, I feel like we'll be more effective overall. And so I take principles from, you know, Proverbs or, you know, the attitudes, and I live those out. And for me, those crystallize not during the easy times, not just during planning, but the challenges when things don't go right. uh, When there are problems, that's when these qualities, uh, I think, are most important to kind of bubble up or to blossom in my life. And so Uh, Whether it's um, not having all the information uh, and making decisions right now, prime example, we're trying to make decisions regarding if we're going to have face-to-face events moving forward because of the pandemic. And so we have a lot of frustration, um, particularly in our market, because we have to raise resources and we know events lead into almost 50% of our, our revenue. And without some surety that these events are going to take place, our volunteers can activate. And so if our volunteers can't activate, we can't generate the revenue. And so we're, we're concerned about, on one hand, looking a certain way, you know, as an organization, we don't want to, you know, on one hand, you look wishy-washy by saying, hey, we're going to do this event. And then on the other hand, the numbers start rising and we have to pull back. That's what happened last year. And so we're trying to figure out how to engage, how to interact, you know, how to forecast numbers. And so for me, what I've encouraged everybody to be is be authentic. We have to tell people where we are, and everybody understands we're in unprecedented times. No one's trying to, you know, put up a facade, but we're trying to be as brutally honest with people as possible. And um, and that honesty and that transparency has led to trust. And that's to me the whole basis of why these these disciplines are important for me, because um, getting garnering trust from those people who you're leading is what makes you, in my opinion, a great leader. Um, I believe that's the principle Jesus used. He was trying the entire time to get his disciples to trust him and try and believe he is who he says he was. <laughs> And once they believe that, then they would follow him to the ends of the earth, even, uh, even given their life. And so for me, if I feel like those people I'm leading can trust me, then when I have to make hard decisions. When we're, when we're put in very difficult situations, and I have to make a decision, whether it, a carte blanche decision on my own or a decision with the group. Um, in that regard, it, it always kind of works out because they know I have their best interests in mind. I'm not doing anything underhanded, deceitful. And ultimately, I'm trying to do what's best for the entire organization. And so that's how I try to live out my faith from a philosophical base and also from a practical standpoint currently.
0: Well, Anthony, there's a, a lot of organizations and nonprofit organizations and causes that are out there. <clears throat> why should someone support the American Cancer Society? And why why did you join? Why is this near and dear to your
1: own heart? Yeah, so. I'll say this without being disparaging from any other organization i work worked for. Uh, the easiest thing to say is it has the greatest, in my opinion, at least from the organization I've worked for, value proposition out there. Um, I'll give an example. My former um, vice, well, he was um, vice president of advancement for the Greater Twin Cities United Way when I worked there. His daughter passed away in 2007 from osteosarcoma. And um, and from her death, this this relay happened called the Tartan Relay, which is one of the biggest relays in the country, it raises a lot of resources. And from 2007 until now, the because of research, their effective the American well um, doctors effectiveness regarding fighting cancer has gone up exponentially. So. When a young lady was diagnosed with osteosarcoma in 2007, she only had a 20 percent chance of living. She ended up before dying, getting one leg amputated so that she could live longer. The cancer was in her bones. She eventually passed away. Today, because of research, because of resources given toward cancer, now if she would have been diagnosed today, she would have had an 80 percent chance of living. That's I mean that is how far. We've come in such a short amount of time. What other value proposition is as clear? Our goal is to fight cancer, and and just like we're now we're uh, combating the coronavirus. Look how much resources we placed, and how many people have been focused on overcoming this. We're making major strides, and people for whatever reason don't see cancer that way. If we were able to just just dedicate resources, we'd have everybody on the same page. We could get by this, and, and this is a reality, but it's convincing people that that's the case. I think our job is to educate people on cancer um, and educate people on how they can prevent it and educate people on how, if they do get it, how they can still live after they get it. Uh, early detection is key, and all, these, all these things are doable. Like early prevention is doable. Early detection is doable. I mean, all these things are doable if simply people are informed regarding what they need to do. And so you know, communicating that is clear. We're here to fight cancer and we're here to eradicate cancer. It's that clear. Now, if you look at other organizations' uh, mission, it's, it's complex. It's, it's, it's hard to communicate specifically what they're trying to do. And uh, when I when I think about how clear their value proposition is, it, it was a no-brainer to me. We're, we're giving people hope. And um, from what I've seen, people who are diagnosed with cancer, um, it, it's, it's uh, probably the, the scariest time in their life. And I'm the type of person that wants to be there for people um, when they're fa- facing their, their greatest challenges, not walk away. I'm a guy that likes, likes Batman. I, I like Superman. You know, that's, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of dad I am, right? And when you're facing challenges, that's not the time to shrink back. But that's the time to step up. And for me, as a, as a believer, it, it provides me the opportunity to give God honor uh, by moving into the space.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. And it's definitely a, a noble cause. Thankfully we've, the Gomez family has been very blessed and not had uh, cancer um, throughout our family, but um But yeah, I know that uh, it is definitely a, a major issue throughout the world and being able to have people like yourself that are behind it champion it to solve it. And so that we can move on is, is definitely necessary. So thank you for your work on that. You know, I think about just looking at you as a man and as a leader, like just so inspired and impressed, but I would imagine that it's also been a journey for you. Can you maybe speak to some of the vices and, and, hurdles that you had to overcome in order to reach this level of leadership
1: throughout your career? Great question. Um, I think I've always looked up to inspiring leaders. It's, it's been a hobby of mine to a degree. Um, I guess on the one hand, I'm glad that it motivated me. But on the other hand, it kind of made me insecure because a lot of times I didn't see those same qualities. That which seemed natural in these leaders in myself, and so for me, I think um, there was a sense I didn't I didn't fit um, in the leadership bracket. That being a leader was something that um, was either ordained by God um, or it was a birthright. Um, I almost went to the military to go to West Point uh, instead of going to the college I chose. But I didn't have in my mind the confidence that I was a leader at that time, even though I had been placed in several leadership opportunities as a young man. Um, So for me, I think self-doubt was huge. And and those doubts even come up all the time. And um, I always tell people, you know, learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that for me has been something I've had to learn to embrace because the feelings of inadequacy come often. And what I've done is tried to equip myself, hence the three master degrees that I have, the PhD. I feel like I had to equip myself for the moment. Um, and, and oftentimes, particularly, you know, from my experience with sports, you know, sometimes you only get one chance and you have to take advantage of that one chance you get. Uh, you have to respond well, you have to be prepared. And so for me, um, that's been huge. Um, when I was able to figure out that you know, leaders. Some leaders are born, not many, but more often leaders are made. That that was a helpful thought for me because I realized that I had a passion for leadership and I could equip myself to be a leader. Because of my stature, I'm I'm six three, and at one time I was like two fifty, and I've lost a lot of weight now, <laughs> about two twenty. But you know, I'm I'm taller and, and, and wider, and you know, and my my physical uh, presence oftentimes it results in people deferring to me. And I'm a pastor, so which means I speak a lot. And, and because of how I communicate, that, that oftentimes leads people to defer. But if you still doubt yourself, um, then it makes it difficult for you to be effective as a leader. And so the paradigm switch came when I realized, you no, know, I, I was a leader and I just needed to equip myself to learn how to skillfully lead effectively. And that, that's when I feel like um, uh, my leadership started to blossom um, because, you know, I, I have an MBA and I felt like I could lead in a business context and MDiv. And I felt like I could lead in a ministry context. And now I have an MPA and it helps me be able to lead in a public space, in a civic space. But ultimately, you know, the fact that I realize, you know, leaders are oftentimes called, but sometimes leaders assert themselves in situations. You look throughout history. We look at the great leaders in history. Like I don't know, a lot of them said, "Hey, you know what? You know, I'll I'll do that. I'll step up." Like it was almost like they were preordained for that moment to respond in that moment effectively. And um, and the truth is, you go back and you start really digging deep into these leaders' lives. You see, they had those same feelings of inadequacy. Um, and, and that gave me comfort uh, because I realized like, you know, I wasn't, these weren't feelings only I had, <laughs> you know, this is how most leaders feel from time to time that you, that you don't have the competence or the or the motivation, the drive or the capacity uh, to, to lead people in, in directions. Um, and, and leaders are needed because there are challenges. And so for me, learning how to overcome obstacles um, was helpful for me. Um, going to the NFL, oftentimes it felt like I was missing out on uh, opportunities of growth and development because while most people were in the classroom studying or while other people were making network connections or building their network, I was out in the practice field running and sweating <laughs> and calling on God for my life because <laughs> I was tired. Um, but I realized over time that it was, that was my practice field, not just for football. I also played basketball and track, but it, it wasn't just an athletic practice field, but I was still engaged, interacting with people because we lead people. You know, leadership's about relationships. And so for me, I had to learn how to master relationships. I, I tell my kids, you know, leaders uh, are, are readers, but I also tell them relationships are key. You know, those that's the most important thing and a skill you need to master, your relational skill. And so if you haven't just been born into a position where you're going to be a leader and you realize you're being maybe moved in that direction. And I, 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 I just texted that actually two days ago, uh, like develop those relational skills. And that's something I had to do like everybody else, probably in the early 2000 or early 2000s, I was a John Maxwell, big reader of Maxwell and Drucker. And I mean, I can go on and on with the leadership group in Blanchard. I was, I was reading all the leadership books possible because I felt like I needed the information I needed the skills to be an effective leader, but eventually I realized I just had to step into it, and, um, and I did, and, and I had to learn from experience, and I, and I was going to make mistakes, and I was going to learn hard lessons, and I was going to bump my head, and uh, and then process of process evaluating became more helpful for me. I began to journal and assess, you know, did I make the right decision, or was it wrong or well, I even made the decision I made? And that introspective way of evaluating myself became critical. I don't do it as consistently now or because I've been overwhelmed with responsibilities recently uh being in school and kind of doing two jobs, but that's something that I'm actually in the process of trying to get back to now that I've finished this uh this semester of school. but you know self reflection has been huge and and that helped me kind of like um eliminate um some some thoughts. And uh, some, some assessments I was erroneously making about myself, but I didn't have time to go back and reflectively think about what I did and why I did what I did. Because once you have that time to think, go back and think, particularly over time, you realize, oh, the decision you made wasn't that bad and the results were better than you thought. And so, you know, the sense of inadequacy was really big for me. Lack of skills, I felt like, was, was an obstacle. And then finally, opportunity. Um, didn't i didn't at first have a lot of opportunity in the in the in the business sector um but then after I, like i got my education those opportunities started to come slowly and over time uh, doors began to open and the more effective i became the more uh, I, I had great uh um outputs people began to notice and they began to actually look out for me and 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 point me to other leadership opportunities um so those are things i felt like i was able to overcome obstacles and how I overcame them in order to be the leader I am at least today.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing that and it's so I love that you share that because I think about so many just for myself and you you think about when you look at professional athletes And you think the last thing that you would probably think is, you know what, I bet this guy lacks courage, you know, or lacks lacks like that, uh, you know, just feeling, you know, confident in them, like self-confidence in themselves. And it's so interesting that you bring that up, that you're right, that as because you're spending so much time training, that you do not have the same amount of time that other people that when you look into like the business sphere that have to be training themselves in the classroom to be able to grow as in the leadership roles or the ways that they're growing in that way and so yeah just so funny the paradigm shift to just think about that that you know that some of these people you know like and you look at like different athletes that maybe get in trouble too because they try to i think that probably makes a lot of sense that they maybe then like surround themselves with a bunch of people that like you know in essence like are just uh maybe make them feel like elevate themselves but at the end of the day it's coming from a place of insecurity and fear over like am i good enough am i you know am i the leader like do i really justify the leadership position that i'm in and then not and above that we're talking about kids you know (laughs) like in their in their you know sometimes this could be is in their teens and then early 20s and they're the the maturity and growth that to be able to handle a lot of the impact that they're making or that they can make positively or negative is a lot of pressure at that young of an age. Um, so wow, yeah that's that's definitely kind of an eye-opening <laughs> thing that you shared so I, I appreciate that for sure. sure. Absolutely. So we we dived into the vices piece and I know you shared on humility that that was one that you felt like has um, been one of those, uh, you know, key virtues that, that you feel like you've been blessed with? Are there other virtues that you feel like have come to you naturally? And please uh, share them. And also, I'd love for you to give an impartation and prayer for our audience to be able to impart that gift for the people listening to this uh, episode as well.
1: So the one I have to highlight would be faithfulness. Um, I think it is a rare commodity today. Um, and I get it. I'll give an example. Like today, if you are in the business community, you see people's resume. And now, um, well, in the past, a good resume was somebody who was at one job for 20 or 15, 30 years, something a long time like that. That's how you know somebody's a good worker because they were one place for 10 plus years. Nowadays, that's not how people look at resumes. Nowadays we look at resumes, it looks good to see somebody every three years, every four years, they're moving to another location. And that's seen as motivation, that's seen as drive. And what happens is now people are actually doing it not because of necessity, but they're doing it simply because they know that's what they're supposed to do. And it it gives them a sense of um, disloyalty, um, lack of faithfulness. And, And then faithfulness is huge for me. And kind of counter-culturally, it's huge because a lot of people don't have that glue, that bond, that helps people overcome difficult challenges in relationships, in their life, in their jobs, um, in their day-to-day activities. Faithfulness is what keeps, keeps people together. It's what keeps people in organizations when difficult times come. Uh, it it's almost seems like loyalty. And I'd say it is a is a type of, of loyalty, or loyalty is a type of, of faithfulness, to be to be more specific. And um, I think this has been easier for me because I don't think that people are perfect. Um, I think people are flawed, all of us. And I, I know that at times people make mistakes. People blow it. I've blown it, and I didn't give up on myself. And and ultimately, I know God didn't give up on me. And because he he hung in there with me, he didn't give up, he didn't throw me away, um, I, I feel like I had that same obligation um, to do that with people, and that faithfulness is what helps you endure challenges, because we're in, ch- We I mean, let's be brutally honest, like, there are some challenges ahead for us all in this country, I mean, not just the country, this world, there are challenges we see, you know, and, and a lot of times, we don't even talk about those challenges, but they're, they're, they're just there in the distance growing, and we're going to need faithfulness uh, to, to overcome some of those challenges. We're going to need some great quality leadership to overcome the challenges that are ahead. This, is, this won't be our grandparent's stories, our great-grandparents. This will be our challenge. And it's going to take people with character uh, in order to help us get past some of the challenges we have before us. Um, and faithfulness, I'd say, is one of the primary um, fruit uh, that has to blossom in the life of a leader in order to help them kind of to set themselves apart from the crowd. Um, yes, we could take advantage of of opportunities and we could take advantage of doors being open and we can move when things get difficult. There's a lot of opportunities for educated people. I think we're, we're the most educated generation in human history. <laughs> and so there's a lot of opportunity out there for us. But man, you know, what would what what impact it would make if we had people who would say, you know, I'm going to hang in here. Uh, Until I know it's time for me to go, not because it's expedient or simply because of an opportunity, uh, but I'm going to go once I've finished my responsibility here. Once I close something out, you know, once I finish my time and then if it's okay to move, I move on. Um, Faithfulness is what keeps marriages together. Uh, Faithfulness is what keeps great um, father, son, daughter, mother, family relationships together. And I think if we can gain faithfulness back as a value, not only in the workspace, but our own lives, I think that we could do a lot of good um, for ourselves moving forward. So that's that's the virtue I feel like uh, I learned as a little little boy, uh, being faithful always uh, has beautiful benefits. <laughs> and uh, without faithfulness, uh, there's not gonna be the opportunity for deep abiding relationships. And so, uh, my my hope for everyone listening is they would um, they would consider they would they would contemplate if they yielded to that fruit that is so essential for healthy and quality relationships. Um, my hope is that for those people who are listening um, that you would look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, are you someone who's faithful? Because it's only the faithful person who is trustworthy. And so my hope is that we'll value faithfulness the way God values faithfulness. We'll value faithfulness the way uh, we should value our faithfulness. And um, if we uh, make it a priority, uh, we'll see some radical changes in our lives, in our relationships, and ultimately, I think, in our communities. Um, So I'll say esteem faithfulness, again, because God esteems it, but also esteem it uh, because it's, I believe, the glue that holds our relationships together.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, Anthony. So, how can people get a hold of the uh, get a hold of you or find out more about the work that you're doing with Endurance Church or the American Cancer Society?
1: Sure. Um, so, if you are interested in learning more or supporting Endurance Church, uh, you can go to endurancechurch.org or endurancechurch.tv, and there you can like our page um, as well as look at our YouTube site. Um, It's the Endurance Church channel, Um, and there we uh, come on every Sunday, Central Standard Time at 10 a.m. We also have Bible studies, small groups as well. A lot of those are virtual. Uh, We actually have been praying every day uh, since uh, President Donald Trump National Day of Prayer. Uh, Every day at 6 o'clock, we are praying for the entire country, and we'll continue to do so as long as we can, as long as Zoom keeps working but it's been a great time of growth. So if you need prayer, you can also join that. You can look at our website, click the link and you'll have access to our prayer as well. Um, The American Cancer Society, you go to cancer.org and look for Minnesota and there you'll be directed to our website in Minnesota. Obviously you can give to the American Cancer Society. I don't know if you've ever heard of Real Men Wear Pink or if you've heard of Research Hers or Gold Together. Uh, But those are some of the initiatives we have, some of the ways you can support the American Cancer Society in the state of Minnesota. Also, we have a CEO um, um, chapter, uh, one of the largest CEO chapters in the country, where all the CEOs of the state of Minnesota who are in part of the chapter get together and come up with strategies for us to impact cancer. Uh, They support uh, primarily our gala, which happens in November. It's another way you can support we can always go to cancer.org, look for Minnesota, and just give to the American Cancer Society as well. We would be happy to take uh, your resources um, and your time and volunteer talent. And so, um, there's just a couple of ways you want to uh, support, whether it be the Ministry of Endurance Church or uh, the volunteer and through a volunteer effort to the American Cancer Society. Please reach out to us or me, and uh, I'll get back to you as soon as I can.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll make sure that we include all that information. In the show notes as well. So let me uh, close this out in prayer. Oh, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you so much for this new relationship with Anthony and the way that uh, he was able to share his heart and his journey into leadership and into intimacy with you, Father. We we just pray, you know, as Anthony had said, we just pray and release just faithfulness over our audience and over the United States and over the world that just in added a dosage and anointing of faithfulness would fall on everyone that is listening to the show, but specifically that this gifting would just be poured out onto the world. Lord, we need people that are set ablaze for your Mm. love and there they will be continually be faithful to a mission and what you are calling them to do in the world, Lord, we know that there's so many uh, different ways that uh, you know that the weather is beating against the boat, and it's easy to look out at the waves and say, "Okay, well, maybe this boat is sinking." And and and, but Lord, we just know that you are in control, and we that is where our faithfulness comes from. Yes. We're able to lean into you, Lord. So we praise you for that gifting of faithfulness. And lastly, Lord, thank you so much for this brother to be able to share his lack of confidence You know when he was younger. I know that there's, there's probably so many people in the world right now that also lack confidence and they're struggling to even be able to share that. So I, I just thank you and I praise you that Anthony was able to share that on this episode today. He's the first leader that actually had the vulnerability to be able to share that. And so, Lord, I just break off the lack of confidence upon people listening to this episode right now as well, that in Jesus' name, anyone that's been struggling with like self doubt, fear, anxiety be broken right now in Jesus's name yeah. and that Lord, they can lean into you and have all the confidence because at the end of the day, Lord, you've already won the battle for us. So every right. single day we know that we just get to lean in and just win that all things work together for good to those who love God. So we are on the winning team. We know the end story. So Jesus, thank you so much for the work you did on the cross. And father, uh, I just asked you to continue to bless Anthony and that all of the, I know 2020 was tough for, for most organizations, but especially nonprofits, but Lord, the work that he's doing to um, cure cancer, What a noble cause so that, Lord, I just pray resources to come in that right now you're just kicking down doors and that you are tearing people's hearts to want to get behind his organization and fund it. and that there's nothing that he lacks or doesn't need when he's uh, serving as the senior executive director for this organization and that more and more donations are just coming forth and that they're able to put cancer behind us. And we pray all this through the mighty name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Love it. Well, uh, love you, bro. Thank you so Thank much you. for sharing and uh, just so excited to see how this episode uh, blesses
1: the world. Amen. Good to see you. Good to have this opportunity. I appreciate it.
0: Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> just joking the Leading Virtuously podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.